God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have today to hear from your word. Please uh, speak through Dean and have us to have our hearts open to whatever, whatever it is you have for us. We know that you've prepared him well, and we uh, trust that today is going to be very edifying for all of us. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, Joseph and Daniela, well, that was quite the encouragement for me to see that. And that goes perfect with my sermon today about called for encouragement. So that was good timing. Wasn't planning on it. We're going to continue today through the life of David. Um, today we got a lot of scripture to cover, but... Uh, a lot of it's pretty exciting story and history that we have to see together. Um, so I'll do my best to uh, read through some of it and summarize some of it so we can uh, get to some of the main points here. Um, it's, it's a fun story. It's exciting. There's lots to it, and there's uh, some key aspects that I want us to take from it uh, as members of um, Christ today, believers in Jesus, that we can learn from every part of the God's Word including David's life. And I think I've learned so much already through the sermon series that uh, we will continue to just grow and learn together from this. So as I said, today's sermons called for encouragement. Last week learned about Jonathan and David, their relationship, how strong and tight that was. They had a deep and everlasting love for one another. Um, and it's great to see friendship like that. Uh, we know that that friendship can grow and build in our own lives and just um, create something wonderful and strong in the Lord as, as we grow together. Um, so as we already got started reading in Psalm 57, um, we'll start there this morning, but let me open with prayer myself, and then we will dive into it. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for uh, this wonderful time together as a body of Christ to come together and learn your word, to hear from each other, to fellowship with one another, uh, to celebrate these relationships that we have, and Lord, that we can continue serving you through your word and through your call to us. Uh, thank you for loving us the way you love us. Thank you for covering our lives in grace and mercy. Lord, may we count our blessings each and every day through the trials and through the hardships and through the things that we see and go through. Uh, Lord, may we just remember who you are and what you're here for to guide us and lead us and that your plan is in place and we need to trust in you. I pray that you can use me this morning to um, just speak your words from your text and truth and Lord that we can grow and learn from it together as a body and just ask for all the hearts in here to be blessed this morning by you Lord that we end up pointing to you after this and each and every day through this week that we will um, look to you and point to you as the answer and as the need that we have. Um, may we continue to encourage each other to do that as we walk together in Christ. I love you, Lord, and I thank you, and I thank you for this body and congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Psalm um, 57. I'm going to reread that again just because it's a great psalm. Um, as part of the lesson today, David uh, writes this psalm. It's a prayer for rescue from persecutors. Uh, when David fled from Saul 
in the cave. We'll get to that today. And again, starting in verse 1, he writes, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. David's a great psalm writer, and we can continue to uh, be encouraged through his psalms and through his words. Um, and let's dive into First uh, Samuel chapter 21 today. As we pick up, leaving off from chapter 20 last week, between those two and their relationship and what happened and what they found out and what they vowed to one another. So we're just picking up. Uh, again, I'm going to do quite a bit of reading today. I'm going to do some summarizing. I want you to understand the story and hear the story as well as you know, what we're picking up out of it. So bear with me. Um, hopefully we can get through you know, without too much reading and, and boring you to death, but the story is really good. So I hope you enjoy it here. So starting in verse 1, chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out. And the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? So first thing David does after the whole ordeal about Saul and he's running and Jonathan, uh, he goes to the city of Nob and he finds the priest and he asks for, for food. He asks for something that'll sustain him, right? Um, but unfortunately, David immediately turns uh, to lies. He lies to the priest um, in order to hide the truth about the matter, because at this point, David doesn't know who to trust. He's, he's on the run. Um, he's, he's not sure who he can look to for help. And at this point, at this moment in time, we don't see him seeking the Lord's counsel either. Uh, but the service of the priest to David was in trust, uh, that David is doing what he said. So I'm going to pick up from there, continue reading. Now, verse 7. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. Okay, good to know. David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, 
Behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it. For there is no other except it here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. All right, so we see Doeg, the Edomite, he is not a Hebrew. He's not a Jew. He was there um, in the temple. Uh, this person, we find out, he's, he's the um, chief of the shepherds. He's in charge of all of Saul's livestock. So there's a lot of people that would have to be in charge of um, that livestock, and this person is in charge of them. So he's there. What is he doing there? Well, it doesn't tell us. The Bible's not clear on what he is doing there. Um, you know, some of the commentaries can uh, say that we can assume, we can guess that maybe he was there offering a sacrifice, that he was taking a vow. Um, he, it may have been the Sabbath. Uh, we aren't sure, but he was there and it says he was detained. And he was uh, a part of that as David came in and asked Ahimelech for some of those things. Um, and then David's request for weapons. He, he needed something to protect himself with, and he, he found a pleasant surprise, right, from uh, the previous stories of him taking down Goliath. Now, as the story continues on through 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21, uh, from there we see that David will flee. He's, he's going to run from there, um, and he goes to Gath. And Gath is actually where Goliath was from, um, and he goes there to, to take some refuge and get away for a little bit. But David was recognized by the people as he was there hanging out with them, and they said, hey, isn't this the son of Jesse? And so from there, those, those people decide to bring him to the king of Gash, and his name was Ashes. Um, and David starts to get a little worried about this because he's being recognized, and he's afraid that this king will turn him over to Saul. So in this case, if you continue reading on, you see that David pretends to be crazy. He starts drooling. He starts letting the spit run down his face. Um, he starts acting like a crazy man. Um, and King Ashes lets, lets him go, and he asks his people, why are you bringing more madmen to me? Do I need more madmen in my kingdom? What's wrong with you guys? So he lets him go. David runs, right? So yeah, it, it appears clever. It appears that David's doing what he's doing to save his own neck. Um, and sometimes we all feel like we're in that situation, right? Uh, but again, David resorts to deception uh, to get away with this. Um, so at this point in the story, after we remember from last week's teaching, and we're reading through uh, pretty much through the end of chapter 21 here, we're not seeing David reach to the Lord. We're not seeing him inquire. Now, he may be, but the Bible's not specifying that. Um, and it just, it made me stop and wonder, you know, as I'm preparing this sermon, we should ask ourselves, when's, when's the last time we stopped to ask our Lord for the issues that we're having in our life, right? Have you stopped and inquired of him lately? Have you stopped to ask the Lord God what you need in your life and what uh, you can do to avoid from resorting to lies or deception or deceit? Even a little white lie that we tell our friends at work or someone like that um, puts another uh, mark on our belt, right, that Jesus has to pay for, that he paid for on the cross. So think through that. We aren't called to be liars or deceptive, and David wasn't either, but he felt that he needed to do those things to get out of his situations. 
Think through that as we continue on. We're going to pick up uh, in the story. Now we're into chapter 22. There's consequences for our actions. And everyone here knows that. We're all learning that as we live our lives and we experience things and do things and make choices and decisions, whether good or bad. Sometimes they seem good in the moment and then they end up really bad uh, down the line or vice versa. We might have thought we made a terrible decision um, coming to Pace in Utah and then it turns out great, right? <laughs> exactly. So there's always consequences to our actions. In chapter 22, verse 1, he writes, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and became he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. So David continues to flee. And what we're seeing here in the story is that um, a lot of people are afraid of Saul, King Saul, and what he is trying to do to David. Um, and they are going to join David. They want to leave where they're at. They, they are fleeing from their home. They don't feel safe. Um, a lot of them owe money to the king. Uh, a lot of them are not happy with what's going on. They're in distress with how King Saul is operating. And so they want to be with David. They leave and they go meet up with him. And it says that there was about 400 men. Um, and there's always women and children that accompany the men. So there's, there's getting to be a pretty decent-sized group that's following David who's on the run. Then uh, on uh, verse 3 through 12, just to summarize that, David continues to flee. Um, and Saul, at this point, is getting frustrated because David is running. He's not able to find him. And Saul starts complaining and says, no one's telling me where to find, where to find David. Um, and one time when he was saying that, uh, he had a group of men around him, but that servant, Doeg, was there. And Doeg heard Saul complaining that none of his men were telling him where, where David was. Uh, but Doeg had seen David with the priest, and he told Saul, that he went and saw him and he asked for food and he asked for a weapon and the priest gave it to him. And Saul was very, very, very upset with that. He was not pleased that the priest had helped him. And so Saul summoned Ahimelech and his entire uh, priesthood family up with him, all the men in the priesthood. So there was 85 men that Saul summoned up to his kingdom to come speak to him. So we're going to pick up reading where that happens here in uh, 1 Samuel 22, verse 13. Let me get there. Saul then said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush at his as it is this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And whom among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law who is captain over your guard and is honored in, our, in your house? Did I just begin to inquire to God of him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant 
or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. (laughs) All right, so this part of the story, the priesthood goes up to the kingdom, Saul confronts him, he says, why are you helping this person and giving him food, giving him a weapon? He's going to come and kill me. He's going to lay in ambush and take me out. And the priest is looking at him like, I'm doing my job. Are you crazy? You trust him more than you trust anyone else. You've put him in charge of your entire guard. This is, this is David. This is the son of Jesse. The Lord knows this person. He's important. I haven't just started serving him today. I started serving him a long time ago. So he stood up for himself. At this point, he probably realized, oh, David lied to me. Okay, got that part. But he didn't go there. He didn't resort to that. He didn't use that as an excuse to save his own neck. Um, He just spoke truth, and he spoke righteousness to King Saul, who, again, needed to hear it, who will continue to need to hear it until the day he dies. He did what he was supposed to do. He stood up for himself, and he called David the most faithful servant that Saul had, right? So I'll continue picking up reading in verse 16. Read with me. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death. Because their hand also is with David, and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn around and attack the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, also oxen, donkey, and sheep. He struck with the edge of the sword. Again, we find consequences to some of the actions um, that happened through this story. Very, very severe. The entire line of men were killed. And then their entire city with all the women, the children, even the animals were slaughtered. And this is one of the worst massacres we find in history. Uh, The mass killings today don't compare to what this looked like. Where the king, the one in charge, the person ruling over everything allows it and says, do it. And no one stops them. No one stops any of this. It's sad to see that Saul had zero regard for the Lord's anointed one and the consequences for his actions. He didn't care that they were priests. He didn't care that they were doing the Lord's work and that there were so many of them dedicated to serving the Lord each and every day for the entire nation of Israel, right? It wasn't just for themselves. It wasn't just for the king. It was for the entire nation. Saul's evil is terrible. But the Lord uses Saul's evil as well to fulfill another prophecy that you see um, back in Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to turn back there real quick. 
should be up on the screen. But in Samuel chapter 2, that goes back to another story that we haven't covered recently here. You may know it. These are the results of the consequences for Eli's actions. And who's Eli? Eli was the priest who took in Samuel and raised him as a boy. But Eli's two sons were evil and worthless. And although Eli rebuked them, it was too little too late. So read with me verses 31 through 35. Behold, the days are coming. And this is the Lord speaking. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's household so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling. In spite of all the good that I have done, that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve. And all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. But I will rise up for myself, a faithful priest, who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointing ways." So we see here the Lord proclaiming that the house of Eli is not going to last except for one, except for one. And it comes to life here in this part of the story. Not that this is good and not that this is something to rejoice over. The Lord is glorified through fulfilling his word. Uh, The Lord is glorified for using so many people's evil for good and doing what is right. Um, but this was something that was proclaimed to Eli that needed to be done, and yet there's still promise at the end of this. There was a promise that one priest will do the Lord's work, and we'll read here just in a minute how that continued in the short term, although we know the long-term continuance of that as well. But Abiathar escaped from Nob and went to David and tell him what happened. So back in Samuel chapter 22, Verse 20 reads, But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, and you are safe with me. David takes in Abiathar and regrets the actions that he took in the house of the Lord. Surely he was thinking about what he had said and done as he was there, and what he told Ahimelech, and the consequences of his actions. He knew how evil Saul was, and yet he was thinking about himself and not others. As he said what he said and did what he did, just putting guilt on himself for that, right? Ahimelech did his job. He did what he was supposed to do. So let's take a moment and compare to Ahimelech, the priest, 
Think how the Lord used him for the salvation of David and for the glorification of himself, of the Lord. Ahimelech, he lived his whole life serving God as a priest. And eventually he had one great purpose. And even through David's deceit, and even through David's unfaithfulness, this man served the Lord's anointed one in faith and in trust without hindrance. He did. He did what was right. Now this man's legacy that we have here in Scripture, in the Word of God forever, it was to fulfill the Lord's purpose by preserving the lineage of who? The Lord Jesus, right? That was his job. That's what the Lord used him for. He was set up for it. His entire family was set up for this. God used this man in this situation for God's glory, for his glory, to glorify himself. Because again, we know the outcome. We're on the other side of this. Let's take a minute to compare our own situation to Ahimelech. Are you a priest unto God? Well, think about that. Christian, are you able to go to the Lord yourself and make requests of him, or do you have to go through someone else? We're all priests. We all can speak to the Lord Jesus, right? We can all speak to the Lord God. We can all pray to him. Are you in a place now, today, of submission to be used by God no matter what? Are you ready for that? And are you ready to be a, a tool in the Lord's hand no matter who lies to you or who mistreats you or who crushes your spirits and your dreams or who demands impossible things of you and requires your sacrifice for their gain? Christian, be ready. Be ready. Let me encourage you to be ready. Ready and willing to be used as a sacrifice for God's glory. That's not what most of us think we want to hear. But be ready. Most of us think we're like David. We put ourselves in his shoes. As in, we're running from the enemy. We're a victim of society. We're just hanging on by a limb. And we have complaint after complaint after complaint, expecting God to put someone in our lives to make our circumstances better. Now, I'm not saying David was doing all that, but we kind of take it like, oh, we're David, and then we continue on down that path and make it worse, right? But David was facing true persecution. His life was on the line every minute at this point. Are you really facing true persecution? Are you being hunted down to be put to death because of your faith in Jesus? I know the answer for me is no. Not at all. And for most of you, it would be no. We're much more similar to Ahimelech in this manner that the Lord has given us a job to do. He expects us to do our job to the best of our ability. Even that, that means just living that faithful life day after day, week after week, month after month. Because it might just be there to serve one person along the way that needs your charity, 
that needs your hospitality. One person might need your Christ-like love and your sacrifice or your encouragement, no matter the cost. You know Joseph's story about coming to this church and, and finding a body of people here that were loving and kind and willing to talk to you and stand alongside you and, and help us figure out what we believe and what is truth. That's true for me too. I found that when I came here. You have purposes in life. You're not quite sure what they are. But be ready, Christian. Be ready to be used by God no matter what. No matter who does what to you. Ahimelech was, and we can take from that today that we can do that too. Because yeah, there's parts of us that are like David. But there's parts of us that are like that priest who put his life on the line and stood up for what was right and spoke truth to the evil world and he got put to death for it. That might be us someday. But if it's not, walk faithfully to do the Lord's work while you're here to do it. Okay, I'm going to move on. 1 Samuel chapter 23. This part, David turns from his not inquiring of the Lord to trust in God, to go to God, to speak to God, to seek Him. He begins seriously inquiring of the Lord on what to do. This is his secret weapon moving forward. David definitely likely regrets his decisions on for what he did and what he said and what happened to the city of Nob, the priest. He doesn't want something like that to happen again. I can imagine the own guilt I would feel in my heart through something like that. Well, in the first half of this chapter, Again, to summarize it, David is told about Philistines going to attack Israel. And usually David's the guy leading the charge, right? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. But now David's on the run. His priorities in life change from I'm in charge of the guard of Israel to I'm running from the king. David probably thought, ah, that's not my job. Someone else is now. No, he inquires of the Lord and he goes to ask. Lord, what do I do? And the Lord gives him that direction to go and attack the Philistines. And you know David's heart. Okay, I'll do it. And he goes back and he tells his men and the men say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Bad, bad, bad idea. I don't think that's going to be very good. And so David, worried, surely about making a poor decision again, inquires of the Lord again and asks, Lord, is this what we need to do? And the Lord tells him, yes, go. So David is a great leader and a great encourager. And he knows how to change the hearts of fearful men to follow him into war. And so he goes and he, he battles and he fights against um, the Philistines. And at this point, there's about 600 men with David. His uh, group continues to grow. As David's in that battle and fighting that battle, Saul finds out that David went to that battle and goes there to pursue him as well. David finds out about this. So he inquires again to the Lord, Lord, what should I do? And he asks, is Saul going to come down and find him? And are the people of this city going to give me up to Saul? And God says, yeah, Saul will come down. And yeah, 
they will give you up, even though David just saved them from them. So David takes the Lord's heed, and he leaves. He takes his men, and they take off into the wilderness before Saul can catch him again. It's this game of cat and mouse. I'm going to pick up reading in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. Because this is where our friend Jonathan comes into the story. He goes and finds David. Verse 16 reads, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horash while Jonathan went to his house. This kind of makes me wonder why it's so easy for everyone to find David except for Saul. It's like, <laughs> dude, you must be really lazy. What is going on here? Jonathan just, boom, okay, I know where he's at. I'm going to go get him. But Saul can't find him. Makes you wonder. Uh, Jonathan... Uh, being the encouragement that he is, uh, he goes to find David. He wants to bring him good word. He wants to bring him encouragement. He does it through his own journey of faith in the Lord. And right, what a wonderful thing for a friend to do that in such a great time of need. Surely David was in a great time of need for that with everything that he had just gone through, knowing that Saul was really out to kill him, to take his life knowing that he had been deceptive and deceitful to those around him that he knew and he loved, and they were all put to death, and he was just on the run constantly. He's doing the Lord's will and the Lord's work. He's going to fight his battles, and then the Lord's telling him, yeah, he's coming to kill you, and the people that you just saved are going to give you up. David truly needed encouragement, and he sent it right at this time, and Jonathan's the perfect one to send. So I'll touch more on encouragement. Uh, more towards the end here. But the rest of chapter 23, David continues fleeing from Saul, and David continues inquiring of the Lord and putting his faith in him to save him from this nemesis that is chasing him. So we get to chapter 24. And quickly into this chapter, Saul corners David into this cave. But he doesn't know he cornered him into the cave. Okay? He found him, but he didn't know he found him. So I was pretty oblivious, especially when there's 600 men with him. Makes you wonder. But the Lord works in mysterious ways. So I'm going to pick up in verse 3 in chapter 24. It says, He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge 
of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his, with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you, After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Wow. Wow. Look what David could do in the face of adversity when he puts his faith in the Lord and he's being encouraged by those around him that love him, David refused to take this opportunity that the Lord put before him to kill the unworthy king that was acting in rebellion against the Lord. He had it. It was perfect. It was right there. Could have been done with. But David waits. He waits faithfully on the Lord to handle the adversity that he is faced with. What do you think this did to Saul? He's still a man. He still has a heart. He changes it quickly. But I'm going to read it for your sake so you can hear the rest of this because it's good. It's a great story. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And then Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? But the Lord therefore rewards you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now, behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. 
So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Isn't that amazing? So Saul's heart changed. We know it's momentary. It's just in that moment, it'll go back in about 30 seconds as you pick up the next verse. But I'm going to stop there. Um, Still, David's acts are amazing acts of grace. And what an encouragement for us that we can find so much of that here. In the Old Testament, that's always said to be full of fire and brimstone, but there's so much grace and so much mercy. And David, through the Lord, expressed that to who he calls the Lord's anointed. He knows that God put him in charge of Israel. And he knows that he was not doing good and that he was full of evil. But David now is trying to do the right thing. It's just amazing what we can do in the face of adversity when we are leaning on the Lord, when we're trusting in Him, when we're encouraged to do the right thing and to do it continually. So are you called for encouragement? That's my next question. Are you called for encouragement? Might be an answer you already know the answer to, but let's stop and engage these lessons for our life for today. Because maybe this is what God has you here for today, to learn how you're called for encouragement. In the midst of chaos and doubt and fear and discouragement and anxiety and loss and adversity and self-pity, Are you fulfilling your Christ-appointed purpose? Or are you saying to yourself, but I'm the one suffering from all these things. Have you stopped to think that maybe, maybe you're not that much like David, but rather more like Jonathan? Maybe you're a Jonathan. Maybe you're an Ahimelech. Yeah, there's lots of parts like David that we can agree to and want to be like. But what is the Lord using us for? Living in the middle of this evil world, Jonathan was doing that, wasn't he? He was seeing the chaos, and we see the chaos around us, where none of it makes any sense sometimes. Most of it scares us to death we're honest with ourselves. And that's because of the unknown. Jonathan was living with an evil demon-possessed king who was trying to kill the next king of Israel and Jonathan's best friend. Put yourselves in Jonathan's shoes for a minute. Can you relate? Surely Jonathan felt guilt, don't you think? Ashamed of himself at some point that he was living the lifestyle that he had and his friend and the next king's on the run in the wilderness. His life was not easy. Jonathan's life was not easy. It was not all sunshine. It was just as hard as anyone else's. He had a lot of battles to face. But you, like Jonathan, do know the eventual outcome because the Lord's word is faithful, right? And that you're here to be that person 
to go and give that powerful encouragement to those you know in the Lord. Although you, you so greatly desire, and if you're like me, you so greatly desire to be that Christian that the Lord delights in. We want that. We desire that, and that's good. But maybe you hold back and question your ability to serve others. Why? The question's why. Let's ask that right now. Maybe you're dealing with some long-lasting sin in your life. Maybe you're doing some things that are a little below Christian standard ways. Maybe you're finding yourself complaining more than praising the Lord and thanksgiving about this life. Maybe you're discouraged more than you're encouraged on a day-to-day basis. Or ashamed of yourself rather than rejoicing in the Lord for others in the Lord. And you're not encouraging others because you think that you can only be an encouragement when your walk with God is without fault. All of those reasons can be excuses for us not to see ourselves as able to serve others through encouragement. But the Lord uses broken vessels to do His work. You know that. You realize that. We are those broken vessels. There's my halfway through time. Okay, good. Got it. (laughs) Maybe you find yourself fitting into some of these categories because you're not doing what God has you to do today, simply being an encouragement to others. Maybe there's other things for you to do, but maybe you're not being that encouragement today. Being an encouragement to people around you is something that each and every one of us can do. And being an encouragement to those you look up to, to brothers and sisters in Christ, is just as important as those who are struggling in their walk. Because even those that you admire and even those that you see and you look up to with loving hearts, believing that they're walking faithfully along with Christ, they're still facing faithful, faithfulness issues and struggles in their life every day. They are. But you ask, but how? How? How can I be an encouragement when my life is such a mess? Anyone thinking that? (laughs) So let's talk about the ways. You can encourage those that you look up to. Do you have any idea? Any idea that when you, yourself, you're struggling, you're falling short, you're missing that mark, That when you let go of your pride and you go to your Christian friends, your brother and sister in Christ, and you share with them your heart, you share with them your iniquity, and you ask them to pray with you right then and there in that moment, and ask the God, ask the Lord for his direction, and then you ask your friend for some candid advice on how to deal with those issues, that in itself is a huge encouragement for those that you're talking to, for those that you're asking, for those that you're seeking help from. That's an encouragement. You can do that. You're not putting more burdens onto that person that they can't handle. Those are the Lord's burdens, right? He can handle 100% of them 100% of the time. You're simply inviting your brother or your sister in Christ into your personal space 
And guess what their job is to do? To point you back to Christ, right? They're going to point you to Christ. You're going to be encouraged through them too. So your trust in them as ones in Christ is an encouragement. Your self-reliance taking a back seat is an encouragement. And your positive response to their Christ-centered advice is encouragement. So I'm not saying that everyone right now, go to your pastors and do all this with them right here and right now, but I'm sure they could use your encouragement too because all of us need to be encouraged. You got to remember, we're a body, right? We, as a congregation, we're, we're a body. And it, all the parts need to work together. We're functioning as one organism with the power of the Holy Spirit. So this can be any brother or sister in Christ right now that's in your life, that's someone you look up to, even if it's secretly, even if you've never told that person, hey, I'd really admire you because of this in Christ or whatever, right? It could be anyone in here. Go, be that encouragement. Why would you even consider to wait and see? No, go. All of us can be an encouragement to someone in Christ at any time, any day. So I want everyone to write down three things you will do this week to reach out and encourage someone you know. And I'll give you some ideas in a minute. Think of three things that you can do. Now write down three names of people, either in here or someone who's not here today, someone in your life, that you'll intentionally encourage this week. It starts one week at a time. If this isn't a habit of your life to reach out, to touch the lives of others through simple means, make it. Make it a habit. You can do it. Start this week. Make it second nature to yourself. And encouragement goes both ways. If you're a person doing multiple things for the Lord or in the church on a regular basis all the time, always inquiring of the Lord yourself for his will and direction, and yet you haven't spoken these words of encouragement to that person lingering in the back who's quiet and reserved, who struggles to take the first step into anything, then you two go and be an encouragement to your brother and sister today. So you can do simple things. Something we like to do here, and sometimes we do more of it and sometimes we don't, but it, invite someone over to your house for a meal. Do a lunch, do a dinner, do a breakfast if you're brave enough. Or go out to eat together, right? Sunday's usually a pretty good time to go spend more time with your Christian brothers and sisters. It's not always possible, but that's a good time to look. It's a good time to plan ahead for that too, just in case you're wanting to ask. Plan ahead for that. But go, eat with people. It's fun. It's good. The recent meals that we just did in each other's houses for those that, that participated and joined, wasn't that a blessing? Wasn't that an encouragement? It was fun. We got to know each other better than we can on Sundays most of the time, right? Uh, maybe ask someone you know to go to an event with you. Anywhere. Go do something. Go for a drive. Go see, go see a show. Um, go to anything that's going on together. It doesn't have to be church-related. Ask, ask someone you know to go with you. You'll get to know them better. Offer to pray together for another person with them about specific needs. Do it right then and there. 
Don't be shy. I've seen a handful of you folks out here praying with someone else out here in the lobby. And praise God for that. It's not just an encouragement for that person you're praying for. It's an encouragement for the rest of us that witness it. Call someone randomly throughout the day, throughout the week. Check in on them. See how they're doing. I don't get more excited than when one of my friends in here calls throughout the week when I had no reason to talk to them. It's not like a, oh, it's like a, hey, what's up? What's going on? I like that. I bet you like it too. Do that for someone. Let people know if you've been praying for them, that you've been praying for them. If you're praying for our people in this church or around you in your life, you don't have to tell them every single time, although they might need that. But let them know. Shoot them a quick text. Tell them you're praying for them. You never know what that's going to do to their day. You can drop off a random gift of appreciation. That's always quite a surprise. I would advise don't make it anonymous. Let them know it's from you. They'll be more encouraged knowing who it came from than some random person. It's a huge encouragement at the right time. Ask someone to do a Bible study with you. If you're not doing that already, or if you haven't done it for a while, what a great way to encourage someone and build them up in Christ is ask them to do a Bible study with you. You can thank those around you for the things that you appreciate about them. And if you can't do any of this stuff, if you're just too shy, too scared, you're unsure, uncommitted, you can smile at them too. Like that, that really goes a long ways. But a huge encouragement for me um, that I found out a couple years ago is a hug, right? You can encourage someone just by wrapping your arms around them. Tell them you love them. As a brother and a sister in Christ, as someone who's part of this church and a member here, or just someone who attends regularly, it, it doesn't matter. As long as you're not too anti-feely, touchy, which you should warn people if you are, but a hug goes a long ways, a long, long ways. You'd never know when someone hasn't had a good hug in a long time. And not just the bro hug, you know, hey, that's okay. But if you give them a great big bear hug and you just hang on and you mean it, it's huge, huge encouragement. So this is one of the easiest things we can do as Christians. And look what it does in David's life. This encouragement goes on and on and on. It's used by the Lord for his glory. We all need it. All of you in your lives, I know all of you struggle with multiple things that happen at work, that happen at home, that happen physically, mentally, spiritually. And it's just like we're getting beat down. And you're just wishing someone would come along and encourage you. Well, let me invite you to encourage those on the other end of that first. And you will find encouragement in doing that. And you will find your friends in here encouraging you more too. Think about how you can make this a priority in your daily life. Put it on your to-do list to encourage those around you. And see how it affects your life. And see how you can live for the Lord each and every day. Father God, thank you so much for this day together once again. Thank you for um, your loving kindness, your grace, and your mercy. Your word is uh, just something that gives life to us each and every day. You literally breathe life into us through your word, Lord. 
And the more that we can be in your word and learn from it, glean from it, just rely on your word and trust your word, the more our hearts can be just engaged with the faithfulness in the journey that we're on. So I pray today, Lord, that you will be the one that encourages us, that gives us that little bit of oomph to go and give a friend a hug, to say hi, to reach out, to be there for one another. You never know. We never know that person in need, but you do know, Lord. And please guide us and direct us. Help us to be not shy. Help us to be bold as we love on each other, as this church, as we grow and we live our lives for you. I praise you, God, and thank you for all that you do for us. And just pray for the rest of this day to be a blessing for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.